Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading Magazine is a monthly publication dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. As Chrissy checked her letterbox, she heard a familiar noise. Skinny Cat came running across the tiled floor. He purred loud and strong as he pushed against her legs. She felt the tension fade, her muscles relax. Hey mate, what a lovely welcome. She bent and scratched behind his ears. Come on up, let's find something to eat. The pain in Chrissy's chest eased, but her throat still burned. Was James right? Was it deliberate? One thing she was aware of, she'd have to cut back on the booze. A mushy microwave packet curry meal later, half for her, half for Skinny. She felt relieved to be home. Her notes and wrinkled diagrams were piled on the coffee table. The bathroom looked tidy too. Wet towels dumped in the bath. Someone had cleaned up. She headed to the bedroom and carefully opened the bedside cupboard. Nothing disturbed. Phew. Not that anyone would know what the timer signalled, she reasoned, as she pulled it out. Eleven days, seventeen hours, eighteen minutes since her last spin of the wheel. Skinny jumped up and stared at the numbers too. He battered the white digits as they changed. The cat stretched and meowed before heading for the kitchen window. To visit one of his other worlds, she accepted. Chrissy gently put the timer back in the cupboard, unchanged. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. My name's Greg Dobbs. Today I'm talking to Karina Kilmore about her new book, Where the Truth Lies. Karina, welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Thank you, Greg. We just heard you read a passage from your new book, and it's all about Chrissy O'Brien, the central character from the book. Chrissy's an immediately appealing character, but she's a flawed character. Can you tell me about her? Where did she come from? Chrissy comes from my career as a journalist. I've worked with lots and lots of other women journalists. She's a big combination of us all. She's um, a hard worker. She's feisty. She's flawed like everyone. I love a flawed character. I don't think any of us are perfect. She's a real fighter. You know, she sets her target and she goes for it. She comes up against quite a lot of obstacles, some of them male, some of them just situations. Where did you find the inspiration for her to get around those things? I think the obstacle, the biggest obstacle she comes up against is herself. She's, um, as I say, she's flawed. She has a lot of guilt and uh, grief in her life and she needs to battle every day just to keep herself going. Therefore, she likes to focus on someone else's problem, someone else's issue, finds a, a, a crime to investigate, finds a, a news story to report. So that keeps her going, that drive for the truth. So her career is her way of escaping Absolutely. the reality, I guess. Yes, she escapes from her reality into her career. She uses her career all her life to keep from uh, thinking too much about her own life and her own troubles. The enormous glass stone was mesmerising. It was lunchtime, and Chrissy was surrounded by city workers taking time out in the serene octagonal reading room in the State Library. 
The skylight in the dome lit the bookshelves and balconies with a soft, diffused glow. She could sit there for hours and often did. The grand room, built with gold rush money, was one of the few places in the city Chrissy felt calm. She leaned even further back and gazed up. It was her idea to meet Graham Parenter at the library, a large open space with lots of people, hidden in plain sight. From her vantage spot on a balcony, she spotted him as he walked confidently through the double doors. She had looked up a couple of photos from the archives, neat black hair, brown skin, shorter and slighter than she had assumed or that her search images had implied. But he was once a truck driver, just like her grandfather. His light pale grey shirt and charcoal pants belied his working class roots. Today he blended seamlessly into the city office crowd. Almost the complete opposite of Hal Carter's angry, rumpled image. Chrissy blended too, easily overlooked, just as she liked it. She watched Parenta stop to examine the ribbon of word sculpture that ran around the room. He took his time before picking up a book from the biography section. Cautious, she thought. He sat at one of the big reading tables and flicked through the opening pages. This man could hold the key to her story. She wanted him to trust her, to fill in some of the missing pieces. Relax, she told herself. He's the head of one of the oldest, toughest unions in the country. He's already decided to play. That passage introduces a couple of the other characters in your book, Karina. A couple of union bosses are mentioned there. And in fact, the whole book is very character driven. And yet they all seem to harbour some kind of flaw. What draws you to these kind of flawed characters? I think all of us are flawed. Even uh, the most perfect-seeming people on the outside have got flaws. And I don't think we should hide them. I think that we should talk about them, uh, read about them, write about them. We're all just humans in this world. For example, Helen Carter is my big, tough union woman. She works on the wharves. She's the boss of the Maritime Union. And I love the idea of throwing her into a man's world and having her succeed. Um, but she's got flaws, of course, like all of us. And then Graham Parenter, he's a smooth, soft-talking uh, union boss as well. You know, he wears a suit, he wears a business shirt, um, he looks like a corporate guy, and I love that juxtaposition as well. Are these all people that you've come across in your career as a journalist? They are all people, but they're a combination of different people. So the, I've taken a bit from this one, a bit from that, and I've mixed them all up. I don't want anyone to recognise themselves. So you don't need to add any disclaimer at the end of the book? No disclaimers. Chrissy looked through the incident room windows, strata cumulus. Bunches of dark clouds had formed, forewarning of rain. The last of the day's sun made large patches of blue and pink sky which tinged the edges of the lumpy white masses. It could be dark soon. She checked her watch, 6.05pm, just over an hour before deadline. Chrissy had gone straight to the port to get a first-hand account. The picket outside the perimeter was loud and angry. The union had started live-streaming, interviewing its people, at least a hundred workers had gathered. Banners had been set up, Teachers Federation, Nurses Association, Transport Workers. 
The Port Authority and Grange were more prepared for the surge of media this time. An incident and press room had been set up immediately. Outside the window she could see the frantic efforts across the concrete forecourt. Emergency vehicle lights swirled, throwing the scene and its people into repetitions of red, pink, blue, purple. The fluoro strips on safety jackets bounced the light back angrily at each rotation. Police tape, people, vehicles everywhere. The crew of a towering ship stood lined up against the railings, a front row seat to the sad chaos. The ship's hull bleeding rust, its tie rope tethered to the wharf. Containers still piled high, uneven, frozen in time. Everyone, every machine, was at a standstill, but Chrissy's mind was in overdrive. There were more than 30 people in the makeshift incident room by now. She pushed her earbuds into her ears. They weren't connected to anything, just helped to muffle the sounds. Breathe. Journalists, safety consultants, Grange staff, no sign of thirst. Union reps, police, Port Authority staff, everyone glaring, ready to accuse. Where the truth lies is set in lots of different locations. It's set in newsrooms, obviously, because Chrissy O'Brien is a journalist, but also on the wharves, on the docks. How do you know so much about life on the wharves? I grew up in a really big political family in New Zealand. Um, all my um, great uncles, grandfather were truck drivers and wharfies. I even had a great aunt who worked on the wharves. Um, so the wharves were, an, and I love the wharves, you know, I would be taken to the wharves as a kid to look at all the ships and um, my grandfather would um, make up stories about where the ships had come from and where they were going to. So I love the wharves. So the wharves is like a, a great place, a great adventure for me to be and I thought it would be a great place to set a story. There's a very wide range of characters working at the wharves and these days with automation there's a lot of IT experts, there's a lot of um, traditional um, labour workers, um, all sorts of people now. And all these people pop up in your book from time to time in large roles or, and small? They do, yeah. I like to mix them up. I like to throw the um, emphasis on one person in, in one scene and then switch it to another person in another scene to get everyone sort of involved in the story. You seem to have a different take on perpetrators of crime. Rather than individuals acting alone, it seems it's more about things like corruption, about secret government organisations, about the faceless corporations. Would it be fair to say that you're more interested in why things happen rather than how? I'm definitely more interested in why things happen. I think if we understand the why, then we may not have the how. If we understand people's thinking and what brought them to this set in their lives, this time in their lives, then maybe we wouldn't get the crime that followed afterwards. Also being a finance journalist for, you know, several decades, writing about business and finance, I think I've written multiple crime stories within that big corporate uh, world. You know, every day I see a financial crime. Every day I see an injustice. The unions are no different. There's crimes and injustice. We're all people, you know, we all make mistakes. I love the idea of looking at why a crime was committed, of, of how it brought that person to that place and that time. It always seems to me in Where the Truth Lies that nobody is completely innocent. You spin a really convincing web of lies and deceit. Is that something that you've come across in real life? I think we live in a time, especially these times, of lies and deceit. Social media has blurred all the edges of truth. 
newspapers blur the edges of truth deliberately. You know, broadcasters blur, um, but social media has come along at a time where we can no longer distinguish between what is fact and what is fiction. Your book, in a way, describes everything that's wrong with contemporary media, the pressure on journalists to to write and to toe the line or suffer the consequences. You don't seem to hide anything. Have you ever been worried about the way you're so frank about the situations that you write? I'm definitely a straight talker and a straight writer. I like to use plain words. I like everyone to understand what I'm saying. And in the finance world in particular, corporate world, people hide behind jargon. I don't let them hide behind jargon. I get them to say it in in straight words and plain talk and I like to write that way as well. It must be quite difficult to get people to talk straight in these times. It is very difficult to get people to say what they really mean and you often you have to ask the question several times, get them um, speaking, uh, let them get their jargon out, let them get through their jargon and then you just decipher it for them. I often feel like I'm a translator a couple of final things. Where does your fascination for cloud formations come from? I love the sky. I think when I look at the sky, I see infinite possibilities. I see no end to it. Um, it's not like the horizon or it's not like anything else you look at. The sky just goes on and on. And, and clouds really fascinate me. I've always been fascinated by clouds. I suppose there's something universal about them too. There is, yeah. You can go to any country in the world and you can see similar clouds. So it keeps reminding me that we're all of one world. We're all together in this world. They seem to function as omens throughout the book too. Is that something you thought about? Yes, clouds are also an omen. They're a forewarning or a foretelling of what's coming for Chrissy. Because my main character looks to the sky often, a bit like me, she looks to the sky, she she looks for what's coming, she looks for some direction and clouds can be a foretelling of, of bad or clouds can be a foretelling of, of light. I've got one final question for you Karina. Could there be a better name for a crime fiction author than Karina Kilmore? Kilmore is actually my real name, my birth name on my certificate. <laughs> what so, an amazing coincidence. But I've always, my name is Kilmore hyphen Barrymore. And so as a journalist, I've always used Karina Barrymore. Nobody wants a double-barreled name. So I just stuck to Karina Barrymore. And then I thought when I started writing, I needed a different name to, to um, differentiate myself. So I used my father's name, which is Kilmore. Are there more fictional deaths on the horizon for Karina Kilmore? Chrissy O'Brien, my main character, is already halfway through her next adventure. This time she's entering the male world of agriculture. She's gone to a sheep shearing uh, station and she's investigating a crime that happens there. It's still based in the city, so it's still an urban crime but um, she's also um, connecting that with her New Zealand heritage and the sheep shearing competition between New Zealand and Australia has been a long tradition. (laughs) Among other competitions. Among others. I really look forward to it, Karina. Thanks very much for joining me on the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Thank you, Greg. I've been talking to Karina Kilmore about her debut crime fiction novel, Where the Truth Lies. It's published by Simon & Schuster and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au and all good bookstores. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening.